in the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. For All Mankind is a read-through show covering DC Comics' classic Super Friends series, which ran for 47 issues from 1976 to 1981. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And joining me this episode is my super friend, Derek William Crabb. Hi, Derek. Hey, what's going on? Zonkers, jinkies, <laughs> all that good stuff. All that good stuff. Uh, I'm so happy to finally have you here on For All Mankind. We've recorded a bunch of times together, but this is your first appearance at the Hall of Justice. Yay! I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. I, I, I do enjoy this series, and I do enjoy listening to the shows about it. It's, it's a fun book, so I'm glad, I'm glad somebody's out there giving it due diligence, due justice. Like, it's fun. Thank you very much. So we have the issue, of course, we're here to talk about is Super Friends number 17. The story is Trapped in Two Times by, of course, E. Nelson Birdwell, Ramona Fraden, and Bob Smith. It was on sale November 30th, 1978. But before we talk about this issue, uh, this is your first appearance on the show, Derek. I got to ask you, like, what, if any, if any, history do you have with the Super Friends cartoon? I know you have a history of the Super Friends cartoon because I've watched every episode of History of Comics on film. But Yay. do you have any history with this series? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I would say it strongly ties to history of comics on film because, like, my memory is I always knew there was a Super Friends comic book. But I think the reason why I knew of its existence was because of Who's Who. Like, I remember reading Who's Who. I remember being really into the JLI and wanting to know, like, well, where did fire and ice first appear and that's when i figured out you know they tell you oh they first appeared in super friends and stuff like that and i don't think i ever you know it's interesting because i i had the instinct to maybe get that as a back issue or something but it just for whatever reason that just never happened so i think i went for a really long time without ever having read the the super friends comic because the comic was probably out on the stands you know not not when i was Right, really right. collecting comics or right. anything like that. So, so it it would have been a back issue, and I I sort of have memories of maybe flirting with the idea of I think it's like I, I forget what issue of the Global Guardians is like eight or nine or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I flirted with the idea of maybe getting that because I wanted to see where you know Fire and Ice originated from and all that kind of stuff. But I never actually read the series until probably around like. 2011 2010 like when i was putting together because you know i i did not see the 73 super friends series until it was on like cartoon network or something because again that was you know a couple years before i was born so it was like i guess i never caught those in reruns i was only familiar with you know zam and jana the superpowers team firestorm cyborg like that that kind of challenge you know the legion of doom like that's mainly what my 
you know, growing up watching Saturday morning cartoons history was. So when, when I saw some of those episodes on Cartoon Network, I went, wow, I've never, you know, I've never seen these before. You mean Green Arrow was on the, <laughs> the Super Friends? What? Like, you know, to me, it was like kind of this fantastic discovery and everything. And then I guess when I was putting together those videos, you know, I, I learned about how E. Nelson Bridwell took it super duper seriously, you know, and, and kind of, you know, wanted to sort of explain the reasoning behind the Hall of Justice when there was a satellite league and just line all the ducks up and everything. And I super appreciate that. I don't like all these people who are like, oh, the super friends are on Earth 1A and this isn't the real Earth 1. You know, I'm like, I'm not about that. I'm like, this is Earth 1. I don't care, man. This is, this is he put a lot of work into this, guys. But um, yeah, so so I, I, I read through, I think, all of those, you know, 46 issues, I think, before I put together my first Super Friends video. And, wow. I, you know, I mainly did it because I wanted to understand kind of the, the comic connections of Marvin and Wendy. And then, you know, when I made later videos on Zan and Jaina, it's like, wow, so much to me. I mean, I was like so much rich back history and, and, and kind of, you know, secret identities and all this kind of cool stuff. They could turn into anything, not just, you know, you know, they could turn into alien animals and, and mm-hmm. frost giants and all kinds of cool <laughs> stuff that you couldn't really, I guess, didn't really often happen on the, you know, the TV series. So I, I thought all that stuff was really neat. And then the fact that, you know, you could have them team up with basically, you know, there was no budget, right? They, they could team up with anybody from the DC universe and they didn't have to worry about, you know, Rick Tornado's character model or hiring a voice <laughs> actor or, you know, right, any right. of that stuff. It's like that could just kind of, you know, naturally happen. So, so I thought that was, I thought that was really great. You know, it's funny when you said that about who's who, that you, you know, they were like the global guardians and fire ice first appeared in super friends. I can remember, this is more about who's who than super friends, but it just made me think of it is like, I went into who's who with, I think a fairly deep knowledge of the DC history, their publishing history. But once in a while, there would be a listing of a book that I'd never heard of. And I was just like, what is that? You know, like, well, like I've literally never like Fox and the Crow. What the hell is that? I had no idea what that was. And that was part of the appeal of who's who was that it was pointing out these corners of history. So it's like, yeah, they first appeared in Super Friends. And I imagine to a lot to a certain age of audience, they're like, what's Super Friends? Like, what is like? That's a that's a TV show. Is that a comic book? I didn't even know because that because the series came and went long before who's who would ever come around. Well, I think I think it's an unfortunate I don't know, viewpoint that maybe even I probably had or or that lots of comics readers had when they were growing up that like somehow because this was based on, you know, like an adaption of a TV Saturday morning cartoon that it somehow wasn't canon, that it Mm -hmm. didn't count or that maybe it was even more disposable than than standard comics or something like that. And I kind of find like as I, you know, I guess in my old age, you know, or whatever, right? Like as I, as I grow older, you know, I, I find like some of those books, the, the, you know, the Superman family books. And I guess what I mean is, you know, the, the, the DC all ages type stuff yeah. or like, yep. you know, Supergirl's cosmic adventures or, you know, uh, the, the whole tiny Titans and, and, and that kind of thing, you know, like, like a lot of that stuff is, you know, quote unquote cutesy and, it doesn't count. It's not canon, but usually when I read it, it usually puts a smile on my face and it's a lot of fun. And I, I, I feel like this is kind of the, you know, the, the ancestral, you know, you know, I guess, you know, progenitor of all those kind of books, you know, so oh, I, I read this and, and have fun and it puts a smile on my face. 
All right. Well, that said, that's that's why I love this book so much is that it does that uh, virtually every single issue. So, all right. So let's talk about Super Friends number 17. Before we get to the story, uh, we got to talk about the cover a little bit. As people that have listening to the show know, I've been frustrated that for the last couple of issues, uh, there have been group shots and Aquaman often is not gets left off, even though, of course, Ramona Freighton has a great history with the character here. Aquaman. Uh, gets almost center stage. Although I will argue, I really think this cover is kind of a case of one step up, two steps back. Is mm-hmm. that Aquaman is is sharing the cover only with Superman and and Zan and uh, Gleek, but uh, and so that's great. And he's fighting a water monster again. Great. The problem is he's begging Superman to defeat the water <laughs> monster for him. And I'm sorry, Superman, hurry up, kick that guy's butt. <laughs> if you're a kid, you're a little like. Why don't you do it, Aquaman? So that's the only the only part of it I don't like. Poor Aquaman should really be helping Superman out as opposed to just standing there art directing Superman on what to do. He's supervising. He, you know, he's... <laughs> I mean, what do you think of it as a, as an image? I mean, it's certainly image, a grabber it's, of it. It's image. really fun. Like I like I like the idea of the you know it's like they they've got the water monster coming up out of the ocean it you know superman's in a pretty dynamic pose like mm-hmm. even aquaman i mean i know you're saying he's you know okay yeah he's supervising or whatever right but like <laughs> he's he's at least in a stance where it's like you can you can see he's reacting to the you know the explosion of the monster yes. you know coming up out of the water you know and and, and, yeah. and in your defense like this is this is what i'm going to say is i think aquaman is doing his part because look he's a good super friend right he's he's protecting gleek and and um Zan, right? Like, because, yep, yep. like, they're obviously like scared for their lives, and they're not saying, see, they, you know, they, you got the fight or flight mentality, right? Like, <laughs> like they clearly have the like, like they're they're stuck, right? They they can't even flee, and they can't even say anything. They're they're too scared to even go. Hey, Superman, can you help us out, please? We're we're terrified. <laughs> like, Aquaman's at least like, all right, do something real quick. I'll stand back and protect these guys or whatever, you know. So he's he's doing stuff. He's fine. all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like that explanation. I like it. Aquaman's very very protectory. He's the yeah. dad, after all. So yeah. okay, that makes total sense. All right, I, I dig it, and I do like the monster, and we see the giant red sun, and there's no there's no cover copy, so we don't really know what's going on here, uh, other than uh, there's going to some point be a water creature in this story. So okay, so let's get to the story. As I mentioned, it's called Trapped in Two Times by Ian B, RF, and BS. Uh, our story opens at the lab of Professor Nichols, who has some grim news to share with the super friends. The time machine he was working on exploded, and he believes that the Wonder Twins, who were there at the time, are now trapped in time except he doesn't know where or when even worse nichols has proof this was no accident it was sabotage by the time trapper with photo evidence to prove it wonder woman with the help of queen hippolyta uses the magic sphere on paradise island to find where in time the wonder twins have gone jaina is uh, back in time on krypton the very day the planet exploded conversely zan is on the water planet of Nerula, I don't know, N-E-R-Y-L-A, I guess, whose own son is about to engulf it. Uh, Using some time ships of Superman's design, the Super Friends split up and head to differing eras. On Krypton, Wonder Woman finds Jaina in the home of Lila Laurel, a woman Superman fell in love with when he went back in time visiting Krypton before he was born. Don't ask. The Kryptonian authorities, seeing the ship and thinking it is Jor-El's handiwork, trying to interfere, but Batman, Robin, and Wonder Woman fight them off with an assist from Lila. They make it just uh, they make it off just as Krypton explodes, even seeing baby Kal-El's rocket as it heads off for its fateful journey. 
Meanwhile, on the water planet, Superman and Aquaman have found Zan. A creature made of water rises out of the sea, but Aquaman's telepathic commands work on it, and he directs it away from the mall. Suddenly, a similar-looking being named Baham surfaces, telling Aquaman that it and all the other creatures of his race will die if the red sun evaporates the planet. Jerry-rigging an interdimensional projector, Superman and Aquaman help the entire planet of sea beings escape to safety. Our heroes then discover that their ship was damaged when the original creature appeared, leaving them stranded on this soon-to-be-dying world. Superman then realizes the ship can move forward in time to after the sun has collapsed into a white dwarf star. Under this new star, Superman, Aquaman, Zan, and even Gleek have increased powers, and they use their sheer muscle to throw their ship into the space warp. Back on Earth, the Super Friends are happy that the Wonder Twins are saved. They realize that the Time Trapper is still loose. Batman remembers that one time Professor Nichols used hypnosis to send people back in time. Why don't they try that again? To be continued. All right, so Derek, <laughs> what is your what was your take on this story? I, I really like this story. I, I think the reason why I asked for it, I know you said don't ask, but like <laughs> I love all the Superman girlfriends that are not Lois Lane, like as evidenced oh, by man. you know, I you know, Lila Laral is is the Marilyn Monroe of Krypton, okay? And 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 it's like this is my, this was always my pitch, right? That I talked about it in history of comics on film too. But like, I love, I I love Return to Krypton. Like, that's where she first appears. Like, Superman goes back in time. It's like it's like Back to the Future meets Superman. Like, where <laughs> he goes back in time, he's got to like help out his dad and hook up his parents. But then he falls in love with the Marilyn Monroe of Krypton, and like. I just, I, I really, really love the character. Like, I thought it was so cool in this that, like, you know, that, that Wonder Woman's like, hey, you know, well, one, I think it's funny that, like, apparently Wonder Woman and Superman sit down over a cup of coffee and, like, talk about their love lives. They're like, hey, <laughs> what's been going on with Steve Trevor? And it's like, yeah, Superman's like, hey, you know, I went back in time and I met this girl and she's like the Marilyn Monroe Krypton and we fell in love, but then I had to come back and Krypton exploded. So, like, Wonder Woman knows all this stuff already and she's like, look, we're bringing you back. Like we're going to hook Superman up. Like we're going to bring you back. And I was like, you'd think like, it'd be like, Oh, the time stream, like there are rules and all this. Oh, no, Wonder no, Woman, no. Wonder Woman was like, no, 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 you're coming back with us. Like, girl <laughs> power. Like you're coming back, you know? And like, so I was like, this is great. Cause like, and, and I like, I like Lila Laral. Like I kind of dig like that. I guess this is weird, but for me, like it reminded me of, and I, I, I don't know if you've seen any of this at all, but like, you know, I, I always like, looks at Krypton that don't, I don't know, don't mess with the narrative. So it's like, this is fun because they get to time travel. You get to see Krypton, you get to see like the science police and they have this big, you know, uh, police chase with like flying cars and all this fun stuff and everything. And on the TV series Krypton, there was often a lot of that stuff where they had these, excuse me, they had these flying cars and, and they, they had all these kind of chases and everything like that. And, and it was very, you know, again uh i guess you know science fiction like you know kind of thing on on krypton and then the i guess i guess what i was thinking of is like lila Laral like has made not too many appearances you know but like there have been like either nods to her in like other stories like later on where like i guess there was like a like a Michael Turner covers for a Superman series called Godfall, where like Superman was had amnesia and he was like married to a woman named um, Lyra, which was kind of like a nod to that. And then mm-hmm. I think in the um, there's like an action comics issue. I think it's number three. It's from the um, 
the new 52 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you pay attention to like the news feeds in the background, there's like a nod to Lila Laurel because they talk about like, Oh, uh, her latest movie came out and there's a controversy because she's got a nude scene in it and all this wow. kind of stuff. Like, Deep so cut. like there, there, there's like all this kind of like, like stuff that, that, you know, so people, people must remember this fondly. Like the reason why I remember it fondly is because I have that great Superman comic book collection. So it's got like the puffy, like padded cover and it's got like all these great Superman stories in it. But one of them was, was Superman 141. And then even they, they kind of have a nod to her in the Alan Moore for the man who has everything, because that's who when when he's in his perfect world where Krypton didn't explode, he's married to her and has, Oh, with wow. Her. Is yeah, he really? So, oh. Yeah. So that's, that's who he like in his, you know, I don't know in, in the black mercy in his fondest dreams. Like that's who he ends up with. If Krypton had never exploded. And like, I, I don't know. I've always loved that concept. And like the other thing, and this is, I don't know, this must be a weird psychological thing or whatever, but like shout out to um, Chris and Cindy for JLU cast. Cause they'll, they'll end up covering this. Eventually they adapt that on that show. Yeah. And when they show Lila Laral, it's like, it's like they merged the character designs of Lana Lang and Lois. And I, I'm pretty sure they used Dana Delaney's voice. So it's like this weird thing of like in the animated world, like his perfect woman is a blending of Lana and Lois, but she's Kryptonian. Like, so it's like, I don't don't know what that means exactly, but I was just like, you know, I, I, I've never had any, dreams like that where you sort of amalgamate people into like some perfect like fantasy or whatever but like i always thought that was kind of interesting like because it was like one of those things where i was like oh that's kind of that's kind of weird because we you know i guess maybe in the animated universe we have no reference for lila laral right so they wanted it to be something that was that was vaguely familiar to the audience that he ended up with someone who he really cared about and they kind of did it by merging the, the the Lana and Lois character designs. And so you had that weird, vague sense of like, yeah, that's exactly who, you know, Superman would wish he would be with or something like that. So like all, all that kind of stuff, like, I guess I, I really dug. Um, I know I keep saying Marilyn Monroe, like uh, another thing I thought of was for the, I guess the, the tie into the Krypton TV series, like Lila Laral doesn't show up on that, but there's an actress who plays, I guess, you know, Jor-El's mother or, you know, Superman's grandmother, because it's like a prequel and everything. And so she plays the the grandmother whose name is Nissa Vex. And it's an actress named Wallace Day. And she's this kind of statuesque um, British blonde, you know, knockout or whatever. Right. And and so like when when I think of Lila Laral, I kind of was like, well, if they were going to cast anybody as her you know, now I was like, oh, well, she, you know, obviously she's already doing some, did some Krypton TV work or whatever, but like, that's, it kind of reminded me of, of that. So I just thought that was kind of cool, but yeah, I mean, that's, that, that, that's the main reason why I really liked this issue is, is that you get to go into Krypton's past. And I, I just, I really dig that, you know, that character. I, well, first of all, I am thinking about what would happen if the Black Mercy dropped on me and now I'm trying to imagine some, combo of like Scarlett Johansson and Caroline Monroe and Valerie Perrine all smooshed into one person. I don't know know what that would look like, but that's for another, that's for another episode. Maybe FW presents. So I had no idea that this character was that big in the Superman 
kind of mythos because when I had never heard of her, I mean, I, I read that story, the, for the man who was everything. I didn't remember that that's who it is. Okay. So when I got to this point in the story, I was like, wait, what? You know? And I'm like, okay, that's typical of Superman in the silver age was that he was just constantly going back into time Mm -hmm. and going to Krypton, which had to be weird to like hang out with your parents, knowing they're going to like, you know, the the superheroes of the sixties were so much more emotionally durable than what we would deal with now, because that would scar you for life if to, to have these relationships with people. And back then it was like, oh, yeah, nothing. I hung out with my dad and I helped get my mom to get. And I had a romance with a woman who I knew was going to die on the planet that I, you know, I'm the only survivor. Like, what? You know, and and so it, as I got to the story, I'm like, this is crazy. I was like, keep in mind, you know, then then he went and had a cup of coffee with Wonder Woman and he talked all about it like it was yeah. a big whoop. Yeah. You know? So oh, like, yeah. That's, yeah, okay. they're, they're yeah. you know, so, obviously they're much more durable. Yeah. I, yeah. They're just everything. Everybody has to tolerate a lot more. So starting at the, the splash page, do you have the do you have the book in front of you? Do you can you refer to what, yeah. look at what I'm referring to? I, I OK, can, I can pull that up. So uh, the the opening there's an opening splash page here, uh, which says trapped in two times and it's got Professor Nichols. And we see that his time machine is blown up and the super friends are there. And maybe I'm crazy because there's no evidence of this other than my simply my eye is trained to see this in a certain way. But like the figures of the super friends look like Ramona Freighton to me. They're clearly Ramona Freighton and Bob Smith. The figure of Professor Nichols and the debris looks like Wally Wood to me. It huh. looks like the art, and I have no reason to think that. There's no reason to think Wally Wood had anything to do with Super Friends, even knew Ramona Fraden or anything like that. No reason why he said, but there's something about the line work and the inking that to me looks different than the other figures on the page. And to me, all the bric-a-brac in the foreground of the time machine looks like something you would have seen on the cover of like Weird Science Fantasy. And again, I, I, I'm going to post this page on the gallery at the website, finewaterpodcast.com. But to me, I look at him like, it looks like Wally Wood drew it. It it just does. And, you know, I'm sure he didn't. And, but if there's just something about it that I'm, that I'm imagining, I'm guessing you did not get that read from looking at it. Cause I'm probably just making it up in my head. I I guess I didn't think about it too much. Like I, I, to me, I was thinking about, you know, that, that, you know, I, I was kind of just thinking in general, you know, that Ramona Fraden did work on super friends for a really long time, but you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I see what you're saying because the, the the foreground definitely stands out, but that just could happen to be that it's attributed to you know I, I don't know like maybe maybe Bob Smith got a a Wally Wood bug up you know could, uh, right right maybe right and was like I'm gonna make this debris look like really you know like just stand out so it looks very dimensional and all that kind of stuff but totally i I, said i I think i'm crazy even saying it out loud but i'm looking at it like that's what it looks like to me by the way i love that professor nichols is kind of like the absent-minded professor of the dc universe because it's like he's he's helping train the wonder twins and he's like oh yeah super friends my time machine blow up and it sucked the wonder twins in with it and it's like do you live in like a one-room lab like couldn't they maybe be somewhere else you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like if you handed your kids over to your great, to your parents for the afternoon and your parents are like, oh, yeah, while we were sharpening our knives, we accidentally stabbed your kids. Like, well, could, could you have not put them in a different room? As the kid? You know, like, why? Like, maybe while you're tinkering they, with the time machine, don't have the Wonder Twins in the room. 
they, they they woke up. They wanted breakfast. They're like, "Come on, <laughs> Professor Nichols, where's where's our ham and eggs?" And then the machine <laughs> blew up. Like, yeah, the machine know, blows up know. as time machines do, of course. Uh, so that was just very very strange. So right after that, he says he's got a photo of the time trapper uh, tinkling with the machine. I love that he's literally got like a Polaroid, a giant Polaroid of of the time trapper there uh we see him there in this little photo and by the way the time trapper's last appearance before this comic was in the all original legion of superheroes treasury edition yeah so this is just covering all my bases here we got treasury cast we have super friends we got everything going on and shout then we, out to treasury cast thank you very much and then so we have this big explanation about who time trapper is i love that wonder woman's like i know him as the time master which is i like the time trapper goes around he just like covers again all of his bases I'm the well, trapper. I, I'm the master. I'm the time lord. I'm everything. I'm just the time guy. That that's E. Nelson Bridwell tying everything together, you know, because <laughs> they 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 have Time Master and Wonder Woman. It's like a guy in a purple cloak, and then they've got <laughs> the time trapper, who's a guy in a purple cloak, and he's like, "Hey, now, I think these <laughs> dudes are the same guy," you know. And then so he, he lines them all up together. I love you know, it. It's funny. It's funny because nobody nobody wants to touch. Uh, time trapper with a a 10 foot pole you know with all the the continuity stuff but i i kind of dig it like i mean it's like this is uh you know maybe maybe i'll save some of it for later but i mean the the time trapper to me was always like a huge big deal villain so and and i think now especially like like i said coming back and kind of looking at these stories with adult eyes and just having fun with them like i appreciate your love for the, the snapshot because one professor Nichols, like, like conceivably he should be advanced enough, even though this is like 1978, like he probably should have had like, you know, a home cam and it's taking like digital, like camera, you yeah. know, shots or whatever, like it's closed circuit TV of the time trapper. But instead he's like, take a look at this Polaroid guy. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the time trapper, you know? And it's kind of like, and, and, and I guess maybe back then it was like, Whoa, that's so advanced. Like somebody came in, you know, sabotaged his machine, snuck into his place. And I'm like, wait, if your if your lab is so advanced that it can take a photo of somebody sabotaging it, where's the Reed Richards stuff that like, you know, the little arms that come out and try to murder the time trapper <laughs> exactly. before he sabotages it? Why doesn't but, like you know, a bubble come down and cover him or something? What are you doing? Yeah, I like yeah. I like the idea that in between the panel grids, there's Professor Nichols shaking the photo, waiting for it to develop. He's like, All right, super friend, just hold on. Flap <laughs> Flap it, flap it, hold on. It's gonna, it's coming in. Hold on, here, you know, who could it be? The Joker? No, no, no. It's time trapper. Here we go. Oh, there, here, here it is. So, so then, okay, Superman and the, the Super Friends say, okay, we got to go to the two different time periods, rescue the Wonder Twins. Then you've got a really amazing piece of dialogue by Superman where he says, since we must travel in both time and space, I'm going to try out some new time ships I've been working on. What? <laughs> This what? is old you know, Superman, man. You you forget they made him a moron in post crisis, right? And he couldn't do anything without Batman thinking of it first, right? But this is this is back in the day when Superman, when he was bored and he didn't have anything better to do, he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm Working on some time ships. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you know some some cool new Crayola crayon colors. I'm gonna do all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and like- Superman. Superman was was a super scientist. Like 
you forget all that stuff. But he just he he was doing all that stuff in the background, and nobody was the wiser, you know. Like, <laughs> I mean, he had hundreds of Superman robots and all kinds of stuff. Sure, he can build some time ships. He's like, I love it, dude. No, no, never mind. I got my own time ship. I couldn't believe when I saw that, and then we get to this great shot of this launching pad, and they've got these two giant rockets, and yeah, like as you said, post like post Dark Knight, Superman's just like a dullard. But, but here, he's like, yeah, I'm just working on time machines because I have voluminous free time in between my appearances in Superman, Justice League, Action, DC Comics Present, Superman Family. I got all the time in the world to work well, on you time talk machines. about that, like, their their entire mission to Kryptonopolis would have failed. Like, Superman can't go with them, right? But he built the time ships, <laughs> and he gave all three of them the gravity boots because if they all showed up, even if they had the time ship and they showed up on Kryptonopolis, they'd be glued to the bottom of the planet's surface and couldn't move. So without the gravity boots, you know, the, then their whole mission would be useless. So even though Superman doesn't go with them, their their entire mission would not have been successful without Superman. It's amazing. He really tricks them out and stuff. Again, he thinks of all this stuff. It's just marvelous. So there's a Wonder Woman goes and looks for, for Jaina, and she's in the, the home of uh, Lila Dralal, as we talked about. And yeah, and the way um, the way Ramona Fraden draws her, she does look like a Marilyn Monroe or Lana mm-hmm. Turner type. Yeah. Uh, Ramona Fraden just had such great skill at drawing incredibly gorgeous women. I mean, she grew, grew, drew gorgeous men too, but she was really good at drawing beautiful women. But it didn't—they didn't look. Um, it didn't look salacious, you know. It looked like 1950s glamour. It wasn't hypersexualized, but these were incredibly beautiful-looking people. Yeah. Uh, and she's just great at that. And then again, we have this whole thing about that the Lila is going to help them. And, and again, she takes the news very easily. She's like, oh, okay, this is what's going to happen. Okay, great. And then we find out that like, basically all of the Kryptonian government is against Jarell. and good Lord. I mean, they, they issue like this group of guys in their, their hover ships to go after uh, Jor, cause they think Jor-El is, is involved because they told him like, can't get off the planet. And that requires Batman and Robin uh, and Wonder Woman to bo- knock a bunch of these guys out. And then Lila, sacrifices herself they want to take her along as you mentioned wonder woman is totally she's totes on board yeah with bringing her along and then lila sacrifices herself to 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 uh, stop them long enough for wonder woman and the rest of the, the group to take off and then there's this amazing panel where you have the one of the uh the, the goons and he's like lila Dralal, you'll uh, draw a long sentence for this interference and she goes long haha none of us will be alive long enough for you to arrest me like she's, wow, like, she's <laughs> really okay with a her planet about to explode. She's she's like, you fool. <laughs> My sentence will be extremely short. Yeah. <laughs> she's kind of gleeful almost. It's like, whoo, geez. Okay. Uh, and then we literally see the rocket blast off as baby Kal-El's ship is taking off. And, and, you know, look, I, I'm not an expert at this uh, by, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but I know that DC did a number of stories where somebody was at the point of watching mm. his rocket take off. And I have to think, if you combined all those stories into one, this was a very clouded, uh, crowded orbit uh, watching Kal-El's ship take off. Because at this point, I think they've probably done about half a dozen stories. There's, so you have a really these, big audience. There's all these guys with the space binoculars yeah. just sitting in the, <laughs> the, the high seats and everything, you know? <laughs> oh, there he They're is. There. Okay. All right. He's taking off. So, like, wow, okay. So then now onto the water planet. We have the water creature arrive. Aquaman, again, he uses his powers. Go away. Do not bother us. And the, the creature takes off. And then uh, 
this other guy comes out, the, the band, bad home comes out. And I love, again, the super friends, because these stories are only 17 pages and they're so jammed with plot that characters have to just accept things and move on. This water creature comes out and he's like, I'm Bayham. My entire race is going to evaporate. Once this red sun takes over the planet, I built this projector uh, but it doesn't totally work. Could you help me? And Superman and Aquaman are like, yeah, all right. And then Superman starts jerry-rigging the projector again because he's a genius. Well, but I, I don't think you should you should overlook, like, one, you, you were upset about the cover, right? Because it looked <laughs> like Aquaman wasn't doing anything. But in reality, Aquaman is the one who drives away the water monster, and it there wasn't Superman. And then, you know, Aquaman also is involved in the jury rigging because he says, look, my wife comes from another dimension. She comes from <laughs> Zebel, which nobody knows nothing about but Aquaman fans, but we all know she comes from another dimension. And he says, look, I, I have my two cents. I can help. So they're, they're both, I'm, I'm saying they are both super geniuses and they're both jury rigging that, that uh, device. And, and the fact that Aquaman, you know, the, this is a water race and, and Aquaman clearly has some experience in that arena as well. So, so I think, I think they both are equally uh, responsible for that. Here's a, here's a life form we've never met handing us a device. We've never touched doing a thing that we didn't know we had to do because we didn't come here for this. And yet we, I love this panel of Superman with his two hands on the wires. He's just kind of squinting a little. He's just trying to figure out, he's like, let me see if I can help. And moments later it works. It's like, yeah, these guys were so capable back then. They can just do anything. It's just, Really fantastic. So we see the ship gets damaged, and then Superman realizes, oh, wait a minute. Uh, we can go forward in time, and that'll get us away from uh, after the, the sun, this planet's been enveloped by the red sun. We get the wave towards star. That increases Superman's strength. And I love that uh, the way Ramona Freighton has this sort of suggested in the art. It's on page 15 where he talks about that his muscles are coming back. And he's already – Ramona Freighton already draws a very beefy Superman. He's a big guy. He's kind of got that Joe Schuster build. But when she draws him in the panel where he's flexing, he now, looks like Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. Like he's yeah, super yeah. ripped at that point. Well, because he's yeah, he's got you know, it's interesting because I, I was trying to think about this because it's like the yellow sun gives him his powers, right? He doesn't have a power under the red sun, but then the red sun turns into a nebula and explodes and collapses into a white dwarf star, and that gives him a power up. But then there's also like that weird instance where like the blue sun, which is a baby sun, gives him immense powers too because it's a younger son and then he makes he makes a nod and i'm surprised there's no little asterisk to this because it would have saved me tons of time rod kelly <laughs> but so he this reference he says simple people born under yellow suns have superpowers under hotter blue and white stars i know because it once happened to my pal jimmy olsen and i'm kind of sitting there going like most times like when jimmy olsen got quote unquote got superpowers it was like some ridiculous story where jim Olsen's like golly i got superpowers now but like really it was like superman like at super speed like doing all this stuff while he was in a you know a, a, a you know spandex costume being an idiot like where it was like he was sort of standing in for jimmy olsen and everything or it, it had nothing to do with like you know superman level superpowers or or you know, sons or anything like that. So I was trying to figure out like where this could have maybe happened. And the closest thing that I found, and people can, can, you know, tell me if they have something better than this, but Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen 39 is titled the super lad of space. And like Jimmy Olsen, like sneaks on some rocket ship, gets blasted into who knows where lands on this planet named Zolom, 
where there are all these telepaths, but he doesn't know that at the time. So he lands, and when he gets there, he's like, golly, the gravity here is all different. I got superpowers like Superman, and I can fly around and stuff. Well, I better protect these people. And so he does all these good deeds, saves all these people until Superman shows up to take them home. And the whole time he's doing super deeds, he tries to disguise himself. You know, it's like, I'm super lad, but then, you know, I don't know, he dresses up as something like trying to be like, Clark Kent or something like that to, to disguise himself. But everyone he saves after he disguises himself is like, thanks, Jimmy Olsen. And he's like, what the, <laughs> what the F? Like, how, how did you know it was me? Like, how do you know my name and all this stuff? And at the end of it, the, the, the nod and the wink is like, you know, oh, Jimmy, didn't you know the people of Planet Zolom are telepaths? They knew oh. your identity the whole time. You know, and he's like, oh, that's a hoot, Superman. And then they, like, fly back and everything. But since it's, like, somewhere in outer space, presumably that that also, you know, was was orbited by a white dwarf star, I'm guessing. And, and maybe that's what, what E. Nelson Bridwell is alluding to. So I, I like E. Nelson, I have a problem. I have to have it make sense. So that's that's what I came up with. Uh, well, that's my, I'm not here to argue with you, Derek. That's marvelous. I mean, it just... Uh... Uh, yeah, that is, I'm sure that's what he pulled it from. I mean, uh, e, e and B knew this stuff just uh, like the back of his hand. So yeah. it makes yeah, they total really, sense. Really they did. Done it. So, so, okay. So they throw the, they said, well, everyone's got increased powers. So they hurl, they use their sheer muscle to throw the ship into the space where even Gleek, even Gleek helps out, which is remarkable. I mean, how much extra he's strong got, he's can Gleek be? He's got the little throw lines. He's helping. Yeah, he, yeah he's, he's helping. It. Absolutely. Like, so, you know, Gleek weighs like probably seven pounds. So you guess he has the tensile strength of a monkey twice his size or something like that. I don't know. So then everybody gets back to the, the ship. I like that the time machine is still all destroyed. Professor Nichols is just kind of sitting around, not doing anything, sweeping up or anything like that. It's fine. And uh, then there's, okay, well, we still have to find the time trapper. And Batman says, well, we did try by hypnosis. That could work. Okay. And Wonder Woman's like, well, what are we going to, how are we going to find the time trapper? And super, I like that Superman, the concluding is, I don't know, but we will find him. I like that confidence. He's like, I have no idea, but we'll do it. We'll figure it out. We're Superman. Uh, we're the super friends. I'm like, okay, great. And then that's the, the, the continued on is the next issue of the manhunt time. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's a part one of part two, but it does tell somewhat of a complete story and that it rounds up the wonder twins. I mean, overall, it's a very fun story. I, it, the, all the Krypton stuff, I said, it did make my head hurt because it is just so absurdly inside itself uh, in terms of the DC universe. But as typical with Super Friends, it's a fun, it's a fun issue, and I did enjoy all the stuff. So, who do you think um, of, of all the Super Friends, uh, Derek? Who who would you nominate for the Best Friend Award? Who do you think came off the best? I, I, I'm I, I might have given it away, but. I'm I'm totally nominating Wonder Woman because she's trying to hook Superman up because she was trying to bring back Lila Laral like she she wanted to help her friend out with his his doomed love life and be like hey I'll I'll bring her back like consequences to the time stream be damned like if that's not a super friend like I don't know what it is man doesn't she care about Lois. Like, isn't that kind of a, isn't that a weird thing to do? I don't know. This is back when they were like tossing each other around and Superman girlfriend Lois Lane, like they, they were cat fighting and stuff. Like, I, 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 I don't know that she cares too much about that. Maybe not. Maybe not. So, all right. Fair enough. That is, I didn't really think of it that way. I gave it to Aquaman simply because Aquaman, uh, he's on the cover. It's a water creature. He gets to help the other water creatures escape. And he does take the tells the water using his telepathic powers to go turn tail and run which works so i mean it's kind of funny is that the the cover sells you on an event that never actually happens because there is no fight with the water creature it shows up 
and Aquaman's like, go away. And then it's like, oh, okay. And then, then it just sort of slinks off. So, okay. So I give, I gave it to, I know I'm biased, but I no, did no, give no, it to No, 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 man. Because the water, the water creature, man, he doesn't even get to look as, as, uh, as, as bad as he does on the cover. Cause, cause Aquaman scared him. It's like, there you go. Like, go home. And the water creature's like, okay. Okay. All right, Aquaman. So, uh, villain roundup. There's really no villain to round up. The time trapper will figure prominently in the next issue, but here he really only appears in that one Polaroid. So he's really not a, there's really no villain here that the, that the NB was working in, uh, you know, was uh, creating for the, the super friend. So that's kind of a push, uh, for this issue. So speaking of, uh, push for the next issue, I mean to say, speaking of next issue, since this is a, uh, two parter, uh, Derek, I would like to ask: Would you like to stick around the Hall of Justice and and discuss part two of the story with me? I would. I would absolutely love to stick around the Hall of Justice and discuss part two. Since since I know something about part two that that it doesn't involve uh, Ramona Fraden art, can I can I tell you a brief Ramona Fraden story that I think oh, people absolutely. might appreciate? Absolutely. So 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 uh, like everyone else, and especially the listeners of this show, I'm sure everyone loves uh, Ramona Fraden art and. For a while, I was thinking about getting a a Ramona Frayden piece, and so I talked to uh, a guy named Scott from Catskill Comics because that's who Ramona Frayden uh, works with. And you can go there; like sometimes they they have like pieces that she's done, and you can go there and and you know sometimes there's stuff that's pre done, and you can purchase those through him. And he's a really great guy and everything. But it, it's just to me, it was funny because. The, the story evolved as as I I tell it or or told it I guess and so it's a complete story now but what was funny was when I went to Heroes Con in 2019 I had asked Scott about a commission from Ramona and what I asked for and I sent some reference and everything but you know it's me so I was like okay well can I get a picture of like Superman and Maxima and then what <laughs> I asked for was and you'll be familiar with this. It's that that Darwin Cook variant cover from Aquaman 34, like where you know Aquaman and Mara are kind of embracing and kissing, and they're you know in the ocean and all yep, that kind of yep. stuff. So so I was like, can I get something like this or you know? And then I, she had done another piece I had seen where it was like Wonder Woman was the focus, and then Superman was kind of like lovingly embracing her and kind of like you know snuggling with her almost and I, I was like oh that's kind of nice so I was like can I get something like that and then it kind of developed in my mind to like well can they can they kiss like Aquaman and Mara like can, can something like that happen and I, I sent over some reference and you know Scott's like no problem it's going to cost you know I, I'm just going to say it because this ends up having a happy ending but he, he's like eh, it'll probably be about $415 and you know go ahead and whatever and so we do the whole thing and he's like okay great and and then he emails me back a couple weeks later and, and goes, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm going to have to refund you because, you know, I talked with Ramona about it and she decided that, you know, uh, she really didn't want to do a piece with Superman kissing like she doesn't think Superman should be, you know, kissing or whatever. And <laughs> and I was just kind of like, oh, OK, like, I, I don't want to force her to draw anything she doesn't want to draw. Like, of that's course. fine. He refunded me the money and I didn't think too much about it. And it ended up uh, being this was the story I told to some folks at Heroes Con in 2019 because there was some weird conversation that we were having because I think somebody was getting a commission of a shirtless iron fist. And then some artist commented that that was like quote unquote beefcake. And we, we talked about all this funny, you know, stuff we had, you know, funny stories about 
you know, kind of commissioning artists and stuff like that. So I told, I told this Ramona Fraden story and, and that at the time, that's how it ended. I was like, Oh, that's funny. She didn't want to draw it. Oh, well, you know, that that's fine. You know, you move on with your life or whatever. And then before we met up at Boston that year in somewhere in between, I guess, June and, and, and when we met up, I think what in August, September, whenever August, you know, fan yeah. expo was right in between that time, I, I see a random post from Scott where it says, Oh, Ramona's got a bunch of new pieces up for sale, you know, and, and these are the pieces and everything like that. And, you know, a lot of times she'll do, you know, pencil sketches, color sketches, whatever. And sometimes I flip through them and just kind of go, Oh, that's a really nice piece. And that's a nice piece. And maybe I'd be interested in it. And so I see a piece in there and I'm like, I'm like, is that, that's, that's Maxima kissing Superman. And I was like, <laughs> that's my piece. Like that's, that's the piece I had asked for. Like, why is that up for sale? Like I thought she didn't want to draw it. And, and then I, I got in touch with Scott and, and the, the happy ending to it for me at least was he, he sold it to me for, I think like 165 bucks. Oh, wow. Like, so, so it was like not even, you know, close to what it was originally quoted. And, and, and I just kind of asked him cause I was like, look, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, like I know she said she, you know, you, we'd done that whole exchange and everything. And, and, and he was just kind of like, well, look, you know, like some days, like she says she's never going to do another convention again. And then a couple of weeks later, she goes ahead and does a convention. He's like, he's like, you know, she's, she's, you know, she's, she's up there in years. Like sometimes she changes her mind and <laughs> I, I guess that's just what happened, you know? And I kind of went, okay, you know? And so, but I, I'm just happy. I was the one who saw that post that I was able to, 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 I guess, be cognizant of that and mm-hmm. have it. And then I guess I um, was like, that's mine. <laughs> so, was like, so anyway, I thought that was funny. But yeah, and I, I thought people might appreciate hearing that story. And, and, and seriously, like if people do are interested in, in an original Ramona, like just talk to Scott from Catskill. And there's there's a bunch of stuff that's probably pre-done. And, and, and I don't know if her commission list is open now or not, but, you know, you could always ask. So that would have been so maddening if you had seen that piece in someone else's collection online yeah, or so you yeah, would have yeah. been like wait a minute what the? <laughs> well let's get you end up with a ramona Fraden original man you can't beat that jeez yeah that's super all right well that's that's great we said you're gonna stick around so okay everybody i want you to stick around we're gonna play some commercial announcements and when i come back i'm gonna be joined by chris franklin for another segment of for all merch kind stay tuned it's new baby alive batteries not included new baby alive soft and sweet she can drink she can eat new baby alive beautiful face dressed in pink and pretty lace new baby alive beautiful face Mm. new baby alive she's from kenner and as promised, I'm joined by my pal Chris Franklin for another segment of For All Merch Kind. Hi, Chris. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going great. Glad to have you back here at the Hall of Justice. Always glad to be back at the Hall of Justice. I know where that is. It's yeah. just up the road from me. Yeah, That's right. Very <laughs> exciting. So, okay. Uh, like I said, we're here to talk about uh, a, a piece of Super Friends merchandise for another installment of For All Merch Kind. This is once again submitted by Mark, a.k.a. Cellar Dweller. He was very nice enough 
he's nice enough to send a, uh, a bunch of photos uh, for this segment. Now, he sent us a, a bunch of stuff regarding uh, the Viewmasters. Everyone, everyone of a certain age remembers the Viewmaster. Uh, you had a Viewmaster, I assume, as a kid, Chris? Oh, yeah. I've, there's still some of my childhood ones floating around the house that my kids wow. use. So, okay. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I had a Viewmaster. Yeah, they are very sturdy. Yeah, I, I had them too. They were a beloved item. Now, Chuck was nice enough to send multiple Super Friends Viewmaster photos. And we're not going to cover all of them because I think the Viewmaster topic as you know, is kind of too big for just one segment of uh, For All Merch Kind. And the, you know, the Viewmaster brand lasted across Super Friends into superpowers. And we'll talk about that and maybe some other inst- other installment of, of, the sh- of uh, For All Merch Kind. But for right now, we're just going to focus on this one Interesting item, which was the Talking Viewmaster Super Friends Talking Gift Pack. Now, this was a Viewmaster that also talked, as the name suggests. So when you clicked the little thing, you heard a little uh, audio segment play. Did you ever have a Talking Viewmaster, Chris? No, I never had a Talking Viewmaster. I think, though, some of the sets I had were made for Talking Viewmaster. And I I just I think the, the discs were slightly different. But you could use them in a regular Viewmaster, and they just didn't talk. If I remember right, if people know better, let, let us know in the comments. But I, I heard about it, but I ne- and I remember seeing it, and I remember seeing this canister, but I don't think I ever had it. Yeah, I never had a Talking Viewmaster either. I just had the, the regular ones. Uh, despite my reputation as Richie Rich, my parents did not buy me a Talking Viewmaster. I just had the regular ones. I remember having... Uh, the Aquaman ones, which were based on the filmation cartoons, mm-hmm. those were really beloved. But I had they, it's kind of amazing uh, how far the Viewmaster brand extended. I mean, they did movies, they did. There's a Mash Viewmaster reel. Mm-hmm. Mash? Why? Why would there? Be, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad I have it. But why does that exist? And so they really they were one of those. Um, you know, it was it was. We talk about this a lot when you and I get together. It, it reminds you a lot of Nego. You know, where it was like you had one company that just owned the license for everything. Uh, nowadays, it would be all bifurcated and cut up and you wouldn't mix the characters. But back then, you could have one company that had the license to like the monsters, you know, the Universal Monsters, maybe or like the Flintstones and the Super Friends and Star Wars. And they could just do it all because, of course, Viewmaster, uh, I guess the company was called GAF because that's the, the little logo that you see on all the Viewmasters. Uh-huh. That's I mean, like, who else was going to compete with them? They owned the market in the 70s, Viewmaster. If you, if you ever had one of those little – if you had something where you looked at little slides, it was going to be Viewmaster. There was not going to be another company. Right, right. And I remember, you know, I've, I've read in histories of TV shows and stuff about how, you know, the the actors and would comment on how, oh, the Viewmaster guys were here that day when we were filming this episode. <laughs> and, and some people were – some of the actors were kind of like – I didn't tell you you could do that, you know. Uh, you know, <laughs> I didn't give you my, the right to like take my photograph for this and then sell it, you know. Basically, so there, there was a, a little contentious here and there. Mm. I think that I think that I seem like I remember there was something about um, Pernell Roberts and B- the Bonanza uh, Viewmaster set, like if you know, because Pernell Roberts was a you know notorious crank, apparently, you know, kind of, yeah, kind of a thorny guy, yeah, yeah. That's why he left when he did. But I, I, if I remember right, it, there, there was. There was one show where the actor, like Viewmaster, was kind of the final straw for him, and that's why they left. And I'm thinking it was, I'm just off the top of my head, I'm thinking it was Pernell Roberts and Bonanza. Like they didn't like clear it with him that you could use my likeness on this, and that. So I think he like refused to be in the pictures that day or something. Or wow, it's crazy. Yeah, but there's a Batman, Adam West, and 
uh, you know, Burt Ward, Batman, that's from the first Catwoman episode, and mm. Julie Newmar, and I had, that's a I don't good know, how many, to pick. yeah, I know, I don't know how many copies of that that one hmm. I had over the years, and they sold that way up into the eighties, you know, with you know, so that was great to be able to walk into Ben Franklin and buy a Adam West <laughs> Batman thing off the rack, you know, it was pretty cool in nineteen eighty two, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, that's something I learned when I kind of went down the rabbit hole a little bit on Viewmaster Research Service. I had no idea that the Viewmaster toy lasted as long as it did. There there were Viewmaster reels for Jurassic Park, The Lost World. There's a Viewmaster reel for Batman Forever. I've got I had that one. no idea it lasted all that like into the mid-90s. That was shocking to me. My kids had uh, – Andrew had one from The Incredibles, so in the, the 2000s. Wow. Uh, so like 2004, it's got the incredible symbol on the back of it. But other than that, it's the uh, the later rounded orange Viewmaster with the yellow little toggle. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's um, they. I think they've kind of left. They've kind of went out and come back a few times, and different companies have bought the name and the the you know the the molds of the the viewer and everything. But yeah, they they're around. Like a, the the Batman Forever one I got is in the shape of Val Kilmer's Batman. <laughs> the shape of his head and you like look through his eyes and that's and, amazing that yeah. is amazing <laughs> i had no i literally had no idea that it went that far I, now i'm laughing at the idea of like the view mr real for the dark knight you know like oh yeah. joker joker stabs that guy in the head with a pencil ka-chunk you know like, okay move on to the next thing right wow that's yeah good for you Viewmaster. i i just would have thought that maybe kids would have gotten more sophisticated you know and just like that this isn't like really much of a toy anymore but right bad. well when we were kids you know i mean i know there were the little super eight movies but i never had those so this no, before vhs became a thing that you could either rent or i mean several you know years later afford to buy you know uh this was home media you know this was mm-hmm. yeah this was how you watched a movie or a cartoon at home in a lot of ways although they did odd things like we're going to talk about where they, you know, instead of a Bugs Bunny cartoon, well, they made little 3D statues of Bugs Bunny and like little puppets and took pictures of them or, you mm-hmm. know, ra- and, and they did that with some of the monsters. And it's kind of like, well, why don't you just take stills from the movie and or the cartoon? And mm-hmm. so they did some it's it's really it was kind of a mixed bag of of how they interpreted the property at Viewmaster. And I, I'd love to know the rhyme or reason the way, why they did it. Yeah, I've talked about this on, on other shows of mine where, like, the reason I loved, like, the movie adaptations uh, done by comic books is because before VHS, that was the only souvenir I had of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, when the movie came and went, and unless it played on TV or played in theaters, it was gone. So, like, my beloved adaptation of, like, Fear Eyes Only, you know, I was like, well, this is all I have to remember this movie by is this is this two-issue adaptation of it because I can't see the movie anymore. And nowadays it's all available all the time. But, yeah, Viewmaster definitely fit in that in that world and so yeah this particular version of the of the Viewmaster by the super friends on the can uh and you'll see these images on the website finewaterpodcast.com it's a big canister and you've got all this stock art uh and you've got two little kids and they're playing with their Viewmaster, and we see there's a superman that looks like uh, what is that i guess like a murphy anderson superman Yeah, it's the it's circle superman. corner circle image from the right. 70s yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you've got angry wonder woman uh, by Dick Giordano uh, yeah. with her lasso. And then you've got an Aquaman that you've seen on other pieces of merchandise and the Chromine Infantino Batman. What's unique about this one, uh, aside from the reels itself, which we'll get to in a moment, is that it does feature on the can 
the Wonder Twins, Yay. Uh, which, to my knowledge, makes this uh, again. I haven't done a complete search, uh, but a, but quick look around uh, leads me to think. And Mark mentioned this in his email. He thought this was the case too. This is the only piece of Super Friends merchandise that features the Wonder Twins. That yeah. they don't want anything else. Yeah, I can't think of one where they're actually depicted. I mean, off the top of my head, it's if it's not the only one, it's one of a very, very yeah. few. Wendy and Marvin were on the coloring book and the sheets as right, we covered. Right. But but the Wonder Twins, even though they lasted longer and you know, honestly were probably more popular, they just didn't make it into onto merchandise. It's it's really kind of strange. It is. When you think about the the like Donnie and Marie were such a huge thing. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, really, Donnie and Marie were a big thing. And the Wonder Twins are kind of like the superhero Donnie and Marie. Definitely. You would, you would have thought that the Wonder Twins, I mean, they got their own segments on the Super Friends cartoon. Marvin and Wendy never did. Uh, yeah, so they were, you know, more eject. And they, as you said, they lasted a lot longer. So, yeah, they were. They had to have been more popular. That I'm surprised that, A, they didn't appear on more Super Friends merch. And they didn't even get their, or that they didn't get their own merch. Right. You know, there weren't Wonder Twins like, uh, I mean, think of how many things you could have done for a boy and a girl, brother and sister. You know, like Wonder Twins bed, bedding sets, Wonder yeah. Twins towels, anything that parents would need for their kids, you could get a Zan and Jaina set. How did they, what, what did they leave that money on the table, Anna Barbera? What was that about? I don't know. And, you know, they were supposed to make it into the superpowers line, like in wave four or you right. know, series four. And they just, you know, the line got canceled. They never, they never made it into it, but. <sighs> So yeah, it's a, uh, it's a real shame, you know, Very I mean, strange. just that power action, you know, squeeze their legs yeah. and their fists, their fists come up and beat meet, and boom, there you go. You know, I mean, sell them, I, you could sell them as a two pack. It would have been perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great. So, so yeah, they're here on, so they're here on the, on the can. And, uh, and so then I went looking for uh, pictures of the, the reels because Mark, uh, the reason Mark sent this in for this specific issue, we want to tie it to this issue number 17, which Derek William Crabbe and I talked about, is that this Viewmaster reel is not an adaptation of an episode of the show, which, again, as you just mentioned, Chris, you would think it would be easy to do. You just get stills of the, the animated cartoon. But no, this is an adaptation of the comic book of the issue number 17. And I I never heard of such a thing. And it's not that I doubted Mark, but I just was like, really? What? I never thought of that. And then I went and found an eBay auction of this particular uh, canister and it comes with these reels and it has a picture. And if you look closely, and again, there's a, I, I grabbed this picture off the eBay auction for the website. You look at the reels and it, and it, you look at the little descriptions of uh, the story and it is the story from number 17. I mean, it mentions Professor Nichols and everything. Mm-hmm. So for some reason they picked a comic book to adapt into Viewmaster form, not only Viewmaster, but talking Viewmaster, uh, which is strange enough. And then on top of that, I think they picked a kind of odd story because this is part one of a part two story. So it's confounding why they did this. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, you think that they would have went for a Challenge of the Super Friends episode or, you know, yeah. with the, the, the most characters. Plus, there's audio right there that you can use. You know, I've, I, I found um, I, I found a website that's got some of the that's got the garbled audio from the, the Superman, uh, the computer crook uh, <laughs> story that was that's also included in this in this gift set. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it kind of funny because the narration doesn't quite match the, the description underneath right. each image, you know, which is, which is kind of funny, but yeah, it's, it's like, so they had, I mean, 
in some ways this is you know crossing over into our power records zone because you mm-hmm. think they had to have people narrate and do voices and uh so yeah it's 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 uh it's it's really like a whole nother a whole nother level especially when you consider yeah they could have just maybe I don't know, slipped Hanna-Barbera some money and got the audio from the, from an episode, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's very, very strange. And, um, as far as I know from this canister, like, uh, the reels just came in a little white envelopes. They didn't come like, cause anybody remembers if you bought the Viewmaster packs, uh, by themselves, they came in a little sleeve with really nice custom artwork. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like there is a Viewmaster, uh, reel for DC superheroes and it says superheroes on it. And it features that Dick Giordano drawing of the five super friends running towards the camera, which got used on a thousand pieces of merchandise. But this was, these were just put in the canister. So presumably, again, and I'm only guessing here because it's like Power Records, there's not a lot of information. You know, it wasn't like there's some huge database where you can sort of just find all this stuff. I don't know whether this Super Friends reel was ever sold independently as its own thing uh, and, or, you know, or it was just sold as part of this canister. Mm. Uh, because I would imagine if you're buying the canister, you've got the reels. Or why would you buy it separately? But I don't. I don't know. Maybe you can lose them or whatever. But uh, but but I used to love. I mean, I back when conventions were still a thing, I you know would find somebody selling Viewmaster reels, and they would have a little box, and you would just flip through them like records, and yeah. just you know, looking at the cover art and stuff would be just amazing. So I would love to have seen if this thing had come with a sleeve, what the sleeve art would have been. I mean, would they have just have grabbed the cover? Remote and Frayden and Bob Smith, or would they maybe come up with something custom? I don't know. It would have been neat to see. But yeah, it's very strange that they would choose to do a comic book for the Viewmaster, again, as you said, for Talking Viewmaster. But nevertheless, that's where we are. Some of the choices that get made here is, are baffling when we talk about um, 70s merchandise. But I'm glad this thing exists. I'm glad yeah. that like the Wonder Twins got some merch love. They deserve it. They were a big part of the Super Friends. So it's fun. I... I don't own a Viewmaster anymore. Every so often I see one on eBay and I get tempted to just have it, but it gets to the point where it's like, eh, it's so expensive to, eh, then I don't do it. But, but when I'm looking, when I was looking at these again, it kind of made me want to own one again, just to, just think of that, that satisfying ka-chunk sound yeah. as you do it. So <laughs> yeah. it was, it was cool. It was glad to see. So big thanks to Mark, uh, AKA seller dweller for sending these in. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I've seen pictures of the other. Uh, there was like a good guy set, I think, of regular Viewmasters. It was DC superheroes. And I think I got that set for Christmas one year. But I, I remember being disappointed that I already had all the individual sets that was in it. So, uh, but but yeah, this is great. I, I, I don't know if I knew this existed before. I don't remember ever um, seeing the Wonder Twins, you know, uh, you know that image of the Wonder Twins. And it, they look very Ramona Fraden on yep. the on the canister so that that's extra cool i mean especially because the again it's, it's like a piece of well like we said it's literally a piece of the super friend comic merchandise so that's even better so yes thanks again seller dweller that's awesome. yeah very very cool so all right well that's going to do it for this segment of uh, for all merch kind chris thank you once again for joining me you know i enjoyed talking to you Oh, it's great. I always love talking uh, about these things, and I love it when uh, your listeners send in cool stuff like this because it's like, ooh, that's uh, something else I need to be on the lookout for, too. (laughs) More money I need to spend. So (laughs) thanks so much, Mark. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. We want you to stay tuned. I'm going to play some more podcast promos, and when I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback.
Once upon a time, five friends who met on the Bot Talk Transformers forum set out to develop a podcast dedicated to their various interests. Transformers, science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. Part fanboys and part assholes, they came to be known as the Fanholes. Their unbridled enthusiasm for podcasting did not end there, and soon enough, their proper podcast spun off into the Fanholes network of podcasts. Besides our podcast proper, the Fanholes soon had a continuum of genre-specific, focused shows such as Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, and Sentai Saturdays. New weekly content can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Fanholes Podcast, the pop culture podcast, made for the fans, by the fans. And now we're back with listener feedback, and this is the Feedback for For All Mankind, episode 16, with my guest, super friend, Laurel Phillips. So let's get right to the comments from the website, findwaterpodcast.com. First up, Martin Gray, who says, it's so lovely to hear a Laurel on a show. Uh, agree, Martin. With a woman and a man doing the podcast, it was a case of powers activate over the airwaves. Anyway, I've yet to finish the show, but before I forget my thought, they come and go so quickly. I wonder if Laurel is thinking of Dino Mutt when it comes to whether or not Wonder Dog was on Laugh Olympics. All these HB Mutts were so alike. And then Edo Boznar uh, chimes in. He says, I was thinking the same thing about Dino Mutt, who was, in fact, the Dog Wonder. And then Laurel herself says, I think you're both right. I looked up a pic of Dino Mutt and the cape and name Dog Wonder must have been what I made Wonder Dog seem familiar. I can't believe on air I didn't think of that. I, I couldn't place what Laurel was uh, saying exactly there was a wonder dog really appeared on in that show and i couldn't remember that uh but yes of course it made sense that it would be dynamite it's a darn shame uh in fact captain entropy in the next comment says something just like that he says this made me think of why the super friends were not involved in the laugh olympics i bet it had nothing to do with licensing rights once you've got the overpowered underoos crew in the competition all your dramatic tension vaporizes instantly snidely whiplash wouldn't even come out of the locker room uh, yeah, quite possibly, uh, Captain. But yeah, that's it is a darn shame that outside of that one Scooby Doo team up, the Super Friends never interacted with any of the uh, HB uh, characters. We had to wait until the DC Comics in the 2000s for that to happen. Matt Sorois is another great episode. This has both a fantastic cover and a fantastic title. The people who stole the sky. It sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. The design for the aliens is great too. They look like a race that would live floating around in the sky. I can almost hear them yelling, hey, you get off of my cloud as, the knock, as they knock people out of the sky. And while I'm on top 40 hits, you made me imagine Wonder Woman doing her best pet Benatar. Hit me with your best shot. Fire away. This is another issue I need to have in my collection. Thank you, Matt. Chris Franklin from our network and, of course, uh, the For All Merch Kind segments on this very show says, I always thought I had a pretty good memory of the covers of the Super Friends series, even the issues I have never owned. But this one is a new one on me. I really dig the scans of this issue, and the design of the aliens is really quite interesting and unique. Super Friends comic Superman reminds me a bit of the hot-tempered Man of Steel Cindy and I are covering on JLU cast. Much more quick to anger, it seems. Just from what you and Laurel described, this seems like Ian B's take on the Lake plots in Season 1 of the Super Friends animated series. I can totally see the basic plot being the same, but the Super Friends teaching the aliens that lesson Laurel mentioned, not threatening them with violence. Maybe it was Ian B saying, this is how these plots would have really played out on Earth 1. Fun show. Thank you, Chris. Captain Entropy returns to say, thanks for a great show, Robin Laurel. I like the change up in story structure of this issue. Instead of a Gardner Fox pair off, Act 2 is the edge of your seat subterfuge that sets up the thrilling pitched battle in Act 3. It worked for Lucas, Tolkien, and Fleming. Why not Bridwell? I also enjoyed Soup's outrage. It's somehow more powerful because he could easily be just like these other aliens looking down on the puny ground dwellers. But he was raised to care for humans and consider them equals, to respect people and not power. 
I don't mind when Superman gets angry because it's like when Jimmy Stewart get angry in old movies. It's a giant clue you've done something terribly wrong and a retribution is probably imminent. Regarding the cross-stitch my brother and I did for mom, it was not Storm the Seahorse. I think it was a picture of a house captioned by a Bible verse about love or family. It's probably still on the wall back home, so I'll check next time I'm there. Mom might have appreciated Storm too, though seahorses are pretty and she put up with a lot of comic book discussion. Of course, if I were to venture into the visual arts nowadays, I'd probably do a cross-stitch interpretation of Ultra, the multi-alien. Edo Bosnar says, on Superman's convenient powers, like super ventriloquism, super hypnotism, super basket weaving or whatnot, I think it was more of a Silver Age thing. Although there were exceptions, like in this issue of Super Friends, by the 70s and 80s, it was pretty rare. I can really relate to what Laura was saying about Wonder Twin powers activate when horsing around with other kids. Back when I was a kid, I recall that we'd often quote lines from favorite superhero shows while playing unrelated games, like dodgeball or whatever. A big favorite was Shazam, with the accompanying Thunderbolt sound effect, and saying holy, insert topically appropriate word here, Batman, was also popular. Once, one kid, a boy, even used the ISIS line, oh, Zephyr winds which blow on high, lift me now so I can fly, when we were playing tag. Thinking about it now, he should have gotten points for being able to correctly quote such a long line. Back then, our reaction was more like, okay, that was weird. Yeah, that's deep cut on that kid, Ado. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Little Russell Bourbon says, Man, I could look at that cover all day, even without my two favorites, Aquaman and Robin. That is one great illustration by Ramona and Bob Smith. Great podcast, Robin Laurel. This is one of my favorite Super Friends issues, and you did a great job talking about how great it was. I remember this issue distinctly because it was the first time I ever remember seeing Aquaman controlling seabirds. Um, mammals, fish, cephalods, cephalods, <laughs> and birds. So basically, he communicated with animals. Just admit it, DC. Two quick things. First, about Super Friends now being monthly. Weren't all DC books made monthly after the implosion? I think I read somewhere that it was a way to keep everything on track production-wise. Uh, what with the lesser books selling all gone, that those that got to stay were made monthly, if I remember correctly. And secondly, in the Super Friends collection, Saturday Morning Comics, that black and white panel on page 15 is in black and white with a touch of blue. So maybe Ian B. or letter Larry Hama wanted to show another point of view change. Martin Gray is back again, and he follows up. He says, so yeah, an all-around great episode. My take on that panel of Aquaman busting into the undersea base is that it's not uncolored. It's just in very subtle blue tones to indicate that he's under the sea. All the other panels are interiors, therefore colored more vibrantly. That editor's note explaining that Superman's super ventriloquism is far better than your average guy with a dummy is hilarious. Talk about tying the eyes and crossing the T's. Brian Linton says, I have to disagree with some of the things you said about Jaina using her powers to look like one of the aliens. Presumably, these aliens are like humans who are an animal species and that they evolved from other animal species on their own planet. In addition, Jane has already proven that she can take the form of alien animals because she takes the form of animals from the alien to her planet of Earth. So I wouldn't she be able to take the form of these aliens of a human. The question is whether or not she could take the form of a particular pre-existing animal, e.g. a person in crypto, ace the bat hound, or the president, or if she always takes the form of the same Jaina version of an animal, i.e. if she turns into a cat, then it's always the same cat that's unique to Jaina. My impression is that the latter case is true. Regardless, I've probably spent too much time speculating on the nature of Jaina's powers that is warranted by a comic book. Thank you both for another incredible episode. Oh, and I love that cover. The cover is very popular with everybody this one. Uh, Santaron says that this is basically what I was coming here to say. If it's just the form of an animal, but not a particular individual, that doesn't seem like that's a problem. 
Thank you for that follow-up. People are really interested in, in Janus Powers. Sean M. Myers says, welcome to the podcast, Laurel. It's great to hear you and Rob talk about this cool issue. On page nine of the story, when Superman is talking about the radioactive waste that will fall down from the sky, I'm glad Ramona didn't feel the need to include a dead dog like she did in issue number nine, when she illustrated the effects of Crax's white kryptonite bomb. Regarding the removal of all the shows and movies from the DC Universe app, some of them have gone over to HBO Max, but sadly, Super Friends is not there as of this writing, March 2020. Hopefully, they will add the show soon. Although I know, although I own all the shows on DVD, sometimes it's just so much easier to access them through streaming, especially when visiting the grandkids. Uh, yeah, truth to that, John, I, I, I will admit, I have bought a few movies on streaming platforms that I already own on Blu-ray simply because it's easier, uh, like when I'm laying in bed, to click uh, them on to say put the thing on uh, via uh, Amazon Prime, uh, which I bought for four ninety nine. Rather than get up, go to the other room, get the Blu Ray, put the Blu Ray in, get the menu, and hit play. <laughs> I'm just lazy that way, so it was worth worth the five bucks. But uh, but yeah, it would be great if all the other uh, DC stuff showed up on HBO Max. I mean, it's it's an expensive uh, streaming service, so they should get all that stuff. And finally, Mark, aka Solo Dweller, who once again provided the subject for the uh, For All Merch Kind segment, says, Thank you to Rob and Laurel for bringing us this month's podcast, which I listened to while spring cleaning the apartment, part of which is dusting and cleaning all my Super Friends memorabilia. Issue 16 was a highlight for me as it featured so much of the Wonder Twins who never got featured anywhere else in the DCU at that time. I was always hoping for an appearance in Brave and the Bold or DC Comics Presents. I was not surprised if Jane Shift in one of the aliens or a centaur, as she had done that on the cartoon a few times, once into an alien insect, and other times as a winged horse and a griffin. However, I would have thought that she'd turn into a centaur with a more fearsome or muscular appearance. A centaur with the top half of a teen girl is not the most fearsome-looking opposition. Superman's anger at Piewall reminded me of issue three, when the world beater was introduced, and Superman, while scowling, calls him a Frankenstein monster created from the dead villains who were murdered. Yeah, I, I mentioned in, the, in this episode that uh, the way Ramona Frayden draws Superman is kind of like a beefier Superman. He's got slightly like a Joe Schuster build. And we all know that the Joe Schuster Superman was kind of an angry, scowly dude. So it sort of, sort of fits that this is the persona that uh, of the – this is the version of Superman we see here in the Super Friends. So uh, thanks, everybody, for the commentary. This show gets so many comments, and I really do appreciate it. As always, you can leave comments on the website, Fine Water podcast.com you can find all where's where you can find all the back episodes of this show so that's going to do it for this month big thanks to Derek william crab for coming by the hall of justice and talking this issue with me as we mentioned he'll be back next month for part two of this story we're always talking this show over on uh, twitter at for all on mankind sf you can subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and amazon music and then finally if you want to support uh, the fire and water podcast network just go to patreon.com slash FW podcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Chuck Dill, Stanford and Brown, Gord Talton, and David S. Gutierrez for their support of For All Mankind and the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So that is going to do it for this month. Thanks for listening for All Mankind. Join us next episode when we look at Super Friends number 18, Manhunt in Time.
NFW TV podcast.